Today on Dramatic Impact, the Calgary-based director and dramaturg Vanessa Porteous gives us a behind-the-scenes look at how directors, dramaturgs, and playwrights interact during rehearsals for a new play, and reveals what she lightheartedly calls her personal artistic fetishes. Certainly a director's job is 75% preparation and 25% rehearsal to opening. That's kind of the iceberg shape of it because rehearsals are so short. You work six days a week, eight hours a day in the rehearsal hall. Then you have to meet your designers, set, costume, sound, and lighting. You're meeting with the stage manager to schedule. Actors have questions. And often the last person on the list is the writer. Hello and welcome to episode four of Dramatic Impact. I'm Elaine Elrod, and this is a podcast from Theatre Alberta. In this podcast, we present voices and ideas from the Alberta theatre community. On today's episode, we present an interview with Vanessa Porteous. This is the third in a series of four interviews I conducted and recorded at the Playworks Inc. Theatre Conference last November in Calgary. Vanessa is a freelance director and dramaturg based in Calgary. She has a BA in English and Drama from the University of Toronto and a BFA in Acting from the University of Alberta. For eight years, she was the dramaturg for Alberta Theatre Projects, a theatre company in Calgary also known as ATP. ATP has been instrumental in producing and helping to develop original Canadian works, especially through its annual Enbridge Playwrights Festival. As their dramaturg, Vanessa has played a large part in helping to foster new Canadian drama. Vanessa's recent credits as a freelance dramaturg include the world premiere of Dennis Garnham's adaptation for the stage of Timothy Findlay's novel The Wars at Theatre Calgary and the world premiere of Flop by Glenda Sterling at Quest Theatre. Selected recent freelance directing credits include The Syringa Tree for ATP and Thousand Islands Playhouse, which is being remounted at ATP this month, Snake in the Grass for Vertigo Theatre in Calgary, Pinocchio with the Old Trout Puppet Workshop for ATP and the Magnetic North Theatre Festival, and the world premiere of Why Freud Fainted by David Reimer at ATP, for which she also co-wrote the libretto. I spoke to Vanessa in Calgary at the Burlington Resources Theatre in the Glenbow Museum on the first day of the conference. So welcome, Vanessa. Thank you. It's great to be here. How did you become a dramaturg and director? What was your training, and what excited you and attracted you to theater? Oh, well, I've been a theater bunny since I was really, really tiny. And actually, when I was a little nine-year-old theater nerd, I wanted to direct plays. Uh, But when I hit my teens, I started thinking that I should probably be an actor. So I went and trained as an actor, both in Toronto and then at the University of Alberta BFA in acting program up in Edmonton. And uh, it was really at the very end of that program that I kind of returned to the more directorial, dramaturgical side of things mainly because um, people started giving me work in that area and not work as an actor. And it took a few years for me to sort of let the acting go, but then I did, and I've never been happier. And could you tell me, what was it about theater in particular that, that 
made you decide that this is what you were going to focus on? Um, I think it was early experiences seeing plays. My parents and I used to go and camp in Stratford, Ontario, and see all the works uh, on the Stratford stage when I was really small. And something about the spectacle and the magic of it really amazed me. And we knew some people involved in those productions. And so sometimes I would get to go backstage and meet those people. And I think the experience of going through that door that separates the audience from the backstage area is just a magic one for me. And so I'm completely, it's a completely emotional attachment. Uh, I just love being part of the process of making a play happen. And in fact, I love the backstage and the prep and lighting levels and technical rehearsals and all those things so much um, that I just ended up choosing to do that as a career. So as someone who has definitely played a role in the development of Canadian theatre, do you have an opinion about what theatre offers to audiences that they might not encounter in other art forms? And I also want to know, does that guide you when you're choosing plays to produce? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I've been involved in developing Canadian theatre primarily through Alberta Theatre Projects, where I worked for eight years, and over the eight years we produced eight times four, over 30 new Canadian plays, and they were of all varieties and descriptions. And when I worked for ATP, it was really about trying to find a variety for our audience. So comedies, sad plays, big plays, tiny plays, wacky plays, very conventional plays. Um, we tried to really give our audience a varied menu. Since I've left ATP, um, what I look for in the theater, I guess, is a sense of wonder. A sense of wonder about the world or... Yeah, but I guess I like to see shows that surprise me. I'm, personally speaking, not a huge lover of plays where it's four people and they're in a living room and they talk for the whole show. Um, I can respect plays like that, and there's some plays like that that are just magnificent. Yes. But personally speaking, I get more excited when there's crazier stuff happening. Okay. I like music. I like spectacle. I like unusual ways of telling the story. Uh, I like challenges and risks, I guess. But I would say that I think it's a dead end to do shows that are only designed to provoke, as we say, mm -hmm. the audience. Mm -hmm. um, the word provoke is used a lot by theater people. And I think you have to give them something to love before you can, or during, while you get them thinking about stuff they've never thought about. Anyway, that's a huge subject. I don't really know how to address it. So what I've, my strategy is to follow my own personal artistic fetishes and see what happens, basically. I figure if I like it, somebody out there is going to like it, too. So could you elaborate a little bit more on your personal artistic fetishes? Yes, I like funny stuff. Yeah. I like heartbreaking stuff. I like sort of dark fairy tale based stuff. Uh, one of my favorite experiences was working with the Old Trout Puppet Workshop on a new puppet show of Pinocchio. And where are they based? They're based here in Calgary. Okay. I like visual pleasure in the theater, and that doesn't have to be giant budget stuff at all. I just like it when it looks like someone's thought about the picture a little bit and is giving us something that pleases our eyes or startles our eyes. I really, I really love that. So you're both a director and a dramaturg. Can you help those of us that haven't been involved in the development of new plays understand how these roles differ and in what ways, if any, they overlap? 
Uh, I can try. Uh, dramaturgy is a bizarre corner of the theater. Um, I like to think that it's about working on the development of new material for the stage. So whatever that takes, organizing workshops, reading and responding to drafts, sitting with the playwright and proposing cuts, sitting with the director and arguing for certain moments not to be cut, bringing in research material to the creative team if they need it, if, it's, if the play is set in a strange location that we don't know very much about or a strange time. Um, anything basically that isn't writing the play or directing the play counts mm-hmm. as dramaturgy in my opinion. Okay. Um, dramaturgy is not a profession, mm-hmm. I say, although I sort of am one. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's a function. It happens. It's always happened and it will always happen. Mm. Either it's the playwright's mother saying, your play's <laughs> too long, or it's the designer saying, I think we should set it on an island, or it's the audience standing up in the middle of act two and leaving because it's not working. These are all, this is all dramaturgy. And so in theory, it's more helpful to have somebody who's thinking of those things before the audience stands up and leaves rather than after. This approach to dramaturgy is uh, something I learned from Bob White, who's the artistic director of ATP, and that's the way he looks at it. Okay. Um, Anyway, how does it overlap with directing? Well... I mean, often it just simply does because you're the only person. There's the playwright and there's you. Uh, and so you're working with the playwright. And the, the goal is to make the most perfect and beautiful production possible by opening night. So if that involves changing the way a scene works, if that involves cutting dialogue because there's too much of it or adding because there's beats missing for the characters, uh, if that involves talking about transitions, you know, you you could say to the playwright, well, you're... Your main character ends this scene with the final line and has to appear in the first line of the next scene in a completely different outfit. What are what are we going to imagine in terms of our transition from scene to scene? Are we just going to go to black and wait for the quick change to be over? Or is there some other strategy to make it more entertaining? This is dramaturgy, basically. So they do overlap tons. Could you just give us a sense on a day-to-day basis what the schedule would be like in terms of scheduling in the meetings what kinds of meetings happen what kind what who's where in rehearsals how does that work uh it's it's usually crazy okay and one <laughs> of the problems with the way that we work is is the lack of time of course everybody's going to tell you that and i think the best strategy is to try to meet as often with the playwright as possible before rehearsals begin certainly a director's job is 75 percent preparation and 25 percent rehearsal to opening that's kind of the iceberg shape of it. Like you, you should be spending most of your time beforehand getting ready to go because rehearsals are so short. You work six days a week, eight hours a day in the rehearsal hall. Then you have to meet your designers, set, costume, sound, and lighting. You're meeting with the stage manager to schedule. Actors have questions. And often the last person on the list is the writer. Uh, now that should not be the case, mm. but it often is. Mm. So then you have to try to plan ahead and say, okay, on Wednesday, after we've had three days of working, we're going to go for dinner. Mm. And we're going to talk about where we're at. I'm going to ask you questions. You're going to ask me questions. And then... Is that when the dramaturg shows up if it's a different person? Yeah. Well, and actually one of the jobs of the dramaturg can be to anticipate that and plan that process. Often at ATP, the writers are from out of town because they come from all over the country. So the dramaturg's job was often to schedule their residencies be the link, be the communications link. Like, okay, you're flying in from Toronto on Monday night. Can you meet the director on Tuesday morning at nine before her production meeting? Can you have lunch with her? Can you meet her in the evening? We're going to do a run on Friday, so we don't want you to schedule your flight out until 
Saturday afternoon so you have time to talk to the to the director before you leave. And you sort of try to massage the process to make sure the writer is part of it. Uh, I don't believe in the school of dramaturgy where the dramaturge is the spokesperson for the writer, mm. artistically speaking. I think the writer should be the spokesperson for the writer. I don't mm-hmm. see why the writer can't speak out. But the dramaturge can make sure that there's room for the writer to do that. Okay. Um, and by briefing the director, by briefing the production company, all those things. One part of the process that often gets fraught and bad is once we're into runs, there's very little time for the writer to give comments to the director. And the director, speaking as a director personally, you're usually so paranoid because things aren't finished yet and they, and they sort of suck half the time. You never want to hear from the writer because you know they suck, but mm-hmm. you have to. Yeah. And so the dramaturg can help to like say, okay, we're having a meeting. And here's some, now's your chance, oh, writer, to speak to the director. Okay. And now's your chance, oh, director, to speak to the writer. <laughs> Usually what happens is the director tells the writer all kinds of things and the writer never gets to say anything. Mm. Um, so as a dramaturg, you just sort of try to uh, find, expand the little tiny moments in the process to make room for the writer. That's, that's very interesting. Okay. So if you had to choose one, what has been your peak experience in the theater and why? Oh, my peak experience in the theater. That's so hard. I really love it. And sometimes I really hate it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's hard work. It is hard. I would Okay, I, I'm going to cheat and talk about two, two different ones. That's and fine. one was Pinocchio with the Old Trout Puppet Workshop. Um, and what was it about that one? Yeah, what was it about that one? Well, going back to the notion of fetishes, it, it fulfilled many of my theater fetishes. It was beautiful to look at, absolutely stunning. The artists involved, the Old Trout's, are of a very, very high caliber. And they approach the art form in a way that I really understand and dig. It had live music composed for the show and played live by David Reimer and Jonathan Lewis. And it was just exactly the kind of music that I like to hear. It was dark and moody and thick, and there was lots of percussion. There was a bowed cymbal. There was a singing saw. These are instruments (laughs) I love to have in the show. It was a a very uh, funny and sad dark, weird story about mothers and sons. And it was just crazy and beautiful. And wow. I loved that. Yeah. That's, that's a great answer. The second one, though, was right afterwards and sort of the opposite. It was the Syringa Tree, mm-hmm. which was a finished piece uh, by Pamela Geen, starring one performer. And on a very, very simple set, all she did was play 24 characters. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> yeah. And so there was no dramaturgy. But uh, working with an artist of that caliber, Meg Rowe played the role, uh, was very, very, very exciting. And we'll, it'll be really cool to remount the show this February, which is what we're going to do. What can emerging playwrights do to increase their chances for success? They can find friends and produce their work. The way to learn to be a playwright is to have your work produced. It is not to sit around and write new drafts and send them to a random strangers who work at theater companies. Michael Healy, who's a Canadian playwright, who's seen some considerable success, he wrote The Drawer Boy and all kinds of other plays since then, he says it takes 10 produced plays before you learn to be a playwright. Mm. Now, this is a guy who's had now eight produced plays and who we think of as a very significant Canadian playwright. But he would say he still doesn't quite, he's not finished his apprenticeship. Oh, okay. So... Uh, so you're talking about like going to the fringe and places The like fringe, that. you know, a room in your grandmother's basement. These are the ways that you learn to write a play. And these are also the ways that you make connections with artists who are going to 
continue to be loyal to your work if they like it. And that's the way it works. It's uh, In the whole time that I worked at ATP as the dramaturg, we read 200 to 250 scripts a year, and we produced 2% of those scripts. And of that 2%, so four a year, basically, of that 2%, zero came under the door written by a stranger in eight years. Not a single one okay. came as a manuscript by someone we didn't know. Lots of them came under the door and we had heard of them because they'd been workshopped or la la la, but not a single one came from an unknown person. That's good advice. So just to wrap up, um, could you just tell us about any upcoming opportunities to see the work that you're involved in? Sure thing. I'm actually not working on any new projects uh, in the upcoming months, but I am directing a show at Vertigo, Snake in the Grass. And that's in Calgary? That's in Calgary, Vertigo Theatre in Calgary. Uh, then we're remounting Syringatry at Alberta Theatre Projects in February or March, I guess, March, April. And then at the end of the year, I'm very excited that I'm directing a production of Helen's Necklace by Carol Frechette with Urban Curves Theatre, and that'll be at the Pump House. And that's also, okay, so this is all in Calgary. So anybody who lives in Calgary or who's traveling through should look for that. For sure. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed meeting you. And it was great to, you. to meet you too, and it was nice to chat. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Next month, we'll hear from the Vancouver-based playwright Trina Davies. We very much want to hear from you, so please send us an email with your ideas, suggestions, or feedback to programmer at theateralberta.com. To learn more about Theatre Alberta and this podcast, or to sign up for the Theatre Alberta e-newsletter TAE News, visit us online at www.theateralberta.com. I'm Elaine Elrod. So long until next time. <laughs>